So it is a little bit self-serving, but also it is altruistic because the more people that like us, the more the algorithms feed it to similarly situated people that need our help. And just when you thought you were about to leave, this was like the credits at the end of the movie. <laughs> you didn't want to stay on till the end because you just got a value bomb dropped on you just like that. Thanks so much, my friend. I appreciate uh. you. Hey, law firm owners, welcome to the Your Practice Master podcast. We're your hosts. I'm MPS. And I'm Richard James. And today we're joined by a special guest attorney, Charles Lapuka. Charles, welcome on. Oh, thank you very much. Very, very happy to be here today. Yeah, excited to have you on. Excited to learn a little bit more about your journey, your story, and what's got you fired up today. I, so I'm excited because Charles <laughs> is the most recent winner of the Entrepreneurial Attorney of the Year contest. So he competed against all of his peers who applied, and then he competed against four, four of his peers, three additional peers, four of them in total, in person. And then his peers as a group voted on who was the winner, and Charles won the popular vote and probably the hearts of everybody that was there for his presentation on his 2022 success. But there is a little like backstory. I think you you snuck into my backyard and shot some video or something, Charles. So my wife tells me we need some new security. But other than that, you did a great job. So congratulations to you coming off the eve of winning your EAY championship. Thank you very much. It was a lot of fun planning to sneak into your yard there. And I got to tell you two things. One, in this past week, I started watching back my presentation from stage and, you know, it's a 20 minute presentation and I was speaking so quickly because I was terrified that I was going to run out of time and I ended up having an extra 30 seconds. But I realized had I not spoken as quickly as I did, I would have run out of time. It's crazy how fast And, it you know, it's like you have said to me before. You know, give me a four-hour presentation window, and it'll take me 10 minutes to prepare. Give me four minutes, and it'll take me, you know, a month to prepare. Right. Yeah. So it's interesting how that always plays out. Yeah, and that little evil red clock keeps staring at you in the face. Yeah. <laughs> it's very helpful to have it, though, especially when you have a slide deck, because you can kind of pace yourself knowing, you know, how many minutes you have per slide. So yeah. it's evil but helpful at the same time. One of the tricks that, and for anybody who's a professional pre presenter in any way, maybe you have an estate planning firm or other type of firm where you present regularly. One of the tricks I learned, I don't do it, but because I worked really hard to hit my marks, but one of my mentors taught me, he doesn't actually use a slide deck. He uses several slide decks and he breaks his presentation into pieces so that if he only goes up and clicks on the one he wants to present on, and then he goes to the next one. And if he found he's running out of time for some reason, he just doesn't click on one of the other ones that are there. And this way, nobody ever has to see him speed through his slides to get to the end. They never know he missed his timing. And I thought it was brilliant. Absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Michael, back to you. Sorry. Yeah, no, well, that's actually really nifty. I've never heard yeah. of it. That's cool. Yeah, it is cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, Charles, yeah, I'm sure everyone's eager to learn a little bit more about you, but let's break the ice a little bit. Could you share something that others probably don't know about you? What's one thing that someone probably doesn't know about you? Ooh, something that well, uh, you're willing to share publicly. Certainly. <laughs> Yes. yes. People that know me probably know this, but strangers or folks that don't know me would not know. 
I am really into vehicles, specifically fast cars and motorcycles, and I try to play with those toys as safely as possible. You know, always helmets and always seatbelts in those types of things. And that is sort of one of my hobby, you know, not only riding them or driving them, but also working on them, fixing them. And one of the things I've been doing a lot lately is riding my motorcycle and exploring the western half of our country. You know, places that I've never been when I was younger. You know, just get on a motorcycle for four days, five days, seven days. I'm trying to right now coordinate a trip in July that will take me from San Francisco all the way up through the top of Oregon and then back down again with one of my cousins. We don't do camping. A lot of people that do this do camping. We do the glamping version. You know, I ride a BMW adventure bike. You know, I call it a grown man's dirt bike. And a lot of people that do that camp at night. But I love to find a Hilton and a steakhouse after, you know, seven, eight hours on a motorcycle, take a shower, drink a glass of wine, have a nice steak, get a good night's sleep and do it again the next day. So that's sort of what I'm into at the moment. And when I'm not doing that, I'm spending as much time as I possibly can with my family. But there has to be a balance. You know, if I spend all of my time with my family and don't pay, don't take care of myself you know, that will be an issue. Just as a little side note, I too like driving fast <clears throat> cars, but I will actually take a slow car and drive it as fast as I can as well. And I did that the other day. I was in Scranton. I was visiting my parents and my dad and my Maria's parents, and we were at a wedding shower. Anyway, I had like 22 minutes to get to the airport, and it was a half an hour, 35 minutes away from where we were. And so I just looked at Maria and said, I'm probably going to go old school here, so just hang on. For the record, I made it in 19 minutes. So, yeah. I Buckle up, bu babe. Buckle up, babe. <laughs> and, yeah, she's like, you are a maniac. I go, no, no, now I'm okay. I was used to be a maniac. Now I'm just occasionally aggressively driving. So, yes, you and I have a love for speed. So, sorry, Michael, we derailed there. We went down the speed. Oh, Although I mean, I've seen you like I speed, too. Say. I inherited that trait, for better or for worse. But for the it. record, on my 50th birthday, we went and we drove, and who won? Yeah, you did. Yeah. It was close. It was close. Eight one-hundredths of a second I won by. Yeah. Eight one-hundredths of a second. It, it was... Your brother came in third, God bless him, but it was really close. I think everybody was within a you know a second apart, but uh, we had a lot of fun racing against each other. Sorry. Was this in Arizona or North Carolina? Well, that was uh, dream Vegas. racing in Vegas, right, Michael? Oh. Yes, yeah. Got you. They brought nice. out the like the luxury, the Lamborghinis, the Porsches, the Ferraris. It's I've actually done that. that in Vegas as well. It's a oh, lot of fun. It's high, yes. I highly, it's a cool experience. highly recommend it. Highly, when you've got somebody cheering you on to go as fast as you can, it is awesome. You know, no, go yeah. faster, go faster. I'm like, really, dude? I'm going as fast. He goes, no, you can go faster. I'm like. That's awesome. I had the same experience. I, I thought the guy was going to tell me. I was like, oh, I'm going to go race this Ferrari on the track in Vegas. Right. And I said to my wife, I was like, yeah, I'm sure it's going to be great. But, you know, I'm sure they're not going to, like, let me drive as fast as I want. <laughs> I got in that car. We did one lap. And the guy looked at me and he was like, was that it? <laughs> I said, I was waiting for you to tell me to slow down. He's like, oh, man, this car goes so much more than that. I said, well, let's uh, go. <laughs> awesome. Not only that, but they tell, the, they're not kidding when they say hit the brakes harder than you think. That was crazy. Yeah. He told me you break with two feet in a race right. car. Yeah, it's an interesting experience. But we've officially gone a far, as far away from conversation <laughs> as we possibly can. Michael, I'll let you bring us back online. Yeah.
All right, I'll bring us back to the podcast here. So, Charles, for anyone that doesn't know, why don't you share a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey as a law firm owner? Sure. You know, there's a couple things there. I consider myself what's called a serial entrepreneur, and that's because I have multiple businesses. But the first business, my baby, was this law firm, the Laputka Law Office, you know, practicing consumer protection law and small business law in the state of Pennsylvania. And the origin story there is essentially I went to law school and what I had a good job at a bank in law school. I was in the collections department, which you'll see is an interesting dynamic as we go down the road here. But I worked for Mellon Bank out in Pittsburgh while I was in college. And when I went to law school, law school said, you know, you have to quit your job because law school's hard. You got to study. You got to quit your job. So I did that. But the problem is, you know, I like things. I like to go out. I like to be able to pay my bills. So after about two months in law school, I was very broke <laughs> and I was not having fun on Friday night because I couldn't afford to. So I went down to the job board and I got a job at a consumer bankruptcy firm out in Pittsburgh while I was in law school, basically doing the opposite of what I had been doing at the bank while I was in college. And I really, really liked it. Now, this attorney that I worked for had gotten himself involved in an arson case. So he actually hired me because he didn't know much about defending an insurance claim arson case. And he basically hired me to help him with that. But in doing so, I was at the office learning about the bankruptcy side of this. And after, you know, I worked for him for two and a half years in law school. And then after that, I stayed there and I really liked it. And then, you know, one day our relationship soured and I ended up getting a job at a large law firm back on the creditor side. Mm -hmm doing foreclosures, doing repossessions on the creditor side. And I did that for four years because I didn't have really another choice. And one of the things that I learned when I graduated law school is when you graduate law school, you don't know how to be a lawyer. Right. You know how to think like a lawyer, but you have no, like it's really hard to go out and just hang a shingle and be a lawyer on day number one. So I got as much experience as I could. And then I knew that I wanted to go back the other way. And the timing happened to be perfect. So I worked four years at this law firm that did only creditor stuff. I went to them and I said, hey, guys, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't like it. It doesn't make me feel good. I want to represent people. I want to go back to what I was doing in Pittsburgh. And guess what? It happened to be 2008, <laughs> right on the precipice of you know, an economic crash. And I thought to myself, well, this is pretty yeah, good, timing. good timing. So, yeah. This law firm was very supportive. Some of the senior partners there liked me because I had done well with their contacts. You know, basically they were playing golf and I was managing the bank clients. Mm -hmm. So they liked me and they gave me a lot of clients and helped feed me in 2008 when I started this firm. And, you know, now here we are. This will be the 15th year of the Laputka Law Office in Allentown, Pennsylvania in November. We'll be celebrating our 15th anniversary. So, cool. so you're going to do anything exciting? Love it. You can do anything exciting to celebrate? I am. I haven't figured out what yet, but we've got to do something because it just so happens that in the same time, so it's October is the 15th anniversary of the law firm. November is the 20th anniversary of me being an attorney. So I got to do something to celebrate. Totally. Oh, that's a, yeah, we can go down that rabbit hole. Okay. But go ahead, Michael. That's going to be fun. Yeah. Well, I'm excited. That's we're going to cover that because I want to dig into that a little bit more, but it's called an entrepreneurial journey for a reason because journeys are filled with highs and lows. So Charles, what would you say would be in this entrepreneurial journey, the biggest failure point you've hit and what did you learn from that? 
Well, I actually left out a step when we were talking a second ago. The biggest failure point that I've ever had on my entrepreneurial journey is between that consumer-based firm in Pittsburgh and the creditor-based firm in Allentown, Pennsylvania. I tried to do it myself. And that's my biggest failure so far has been I tried to do it myself. And that is when I learned that I had no idea what I didn't know. Mm. The second, I would say, is after I started this firm, I actually did a pretty good job of diversifying my business practice. One of my other businesses has to do with real estate. So my thought process early on in you know, 2008, 2010 was I'll have the bankruptcy firm when times are bad economically. I'll have the real estate stuff when times are good economically. And somewhere in between, they'll both kind of work out. And then there was a global pandemic and nobody did anything. So... You know, I don't know whether that was my failure to plan for a pandemic because it feels like the entire planet failed to plan for this pandemic. But, you know, that's been our biggest struggling point since then. You know, we were doing fantastic in 2019 and it really took me about two years to get back to the same 2019 numbers in 2022, three years. In 2022, we finally got back to the same numbers that we were doing in 2019. So you know that's, that's sort of been the journey there and my two failures along the but, way but well first of all to your point about the anomaly of the pandemic nothing that was logical was logical anymore so it, everything was upside down it was the bizarro world we lived in and but you know kudos to you like i still michael and i meet bankruptcy attorneys all the time and they're still not even close to pre-pandemic numbers in 2023 they've lost and they haven't figured out how to find their way back and you know they're struggling and so you were able to even during the pandemic start to figure out how to capture market share and get more of what was already out there and now that you're seeing the curve go back up you're in growth mode again but yeah so congrats to you for even being able to get back to pre-pandemic numbers by 2022 because i can tell you most bankruptcy attorneys wouldn't have that story yeah, and frankly, the market is still down from 2019 and kind of still shrinking-ish or holding steady from its lowest point. And what I had to do in order to get our numbers back was expand the geography to which I was offering services. So COVID actually helped with that because right. the court systems generated some ways that we could do things remotely, which allowed me to expand my geography without traveling. You know, because back in 2010, I wanted to do work in Western Pennsylvania, but it's a four hour ride. Right. So it just didn't make sense. Right. You know, this kind of helped that. So, you know, an another thing that helped me is I really gained an understanding for how to run a business as opposed to how to just practice law. Now I know how to do both. And when you understand the metrics in running the business, you can feel confident investing money in lead purchasing or advertising because you know that it's not wasted and you can keep a close eye on it. And that's something that I've learned you know, in beating part of your world and you've taught me that and I very much appreciate it and I have run with it from there and it just really made me feel comfortable to expand my geography, expand the depth of my advertising and lead purchasing so that our numbers can rise and gain market share while everybody else is stagnant or losing. Well, you brought up a good point and you may very well reference what you just said as this moment, but obviously like we talked about a journey, where in the journey did you have like that light bulb moment when you experienced either significant breakthrough or success and the light bulb just clicked? 
Oh, I've got to say, I believed, Rich, that this was a thing that I needed to do when I first met him. But, you know, I always joke around and say that I'm a slow learner. And it's not that I'm a slow learner. Sometimes I'm a slow implementer. Like, I got it right away when I learned about it from your practice mastered and my peers and Rich in this group. But it took me a while to really do it. So I would say it took about 18 months. You know, maybe in 2018 is when I really started getting a hang of this. And that's how we really started the upswing in 2019 until the pandemic took hold and turned everything upside down. Yeah. Yeah. So, by the way, appreciate the kudos. But at the end of the day, Charles, you had to do it, right? So we might have put the information out there, but we put the information out there to a lot of attorneys a lot of the time. And most of them don't take the path of winners. Michael and I talk about this all the time. Success leaves clues. And you've been able to take those clues and run with them all on your own. That's why we love working with attorneys because you are intelligent by nature. You've proven it by just being an attorney for the most part. And so when you get it, you know what I mean? And you're willing to implement, you put those two things together, it's like adding rocket fuel. So it's been a lot of fun to watch. I mean, you're being humble, but you've captured double digit market share now, you know, from where you had single digit market share. And we're talking about, you know, in the 20 percentages range, I think, right? Is that where you are now market share? Yeah. So about five years ago, I had four or 5% market share. Now we're north of 20. And, uh, you know, when I'm saying I have 20% market share, the level of my competition is probably 40 other people. Mm -hmm. There's 40 other attorneys or firms that are doing what I do in my jurisdiction. And I have 20% market share and they're all fighting over the other 75 or 80. Yeah. So it's what a great position to be in. It's a very good position to be in. And the fact that you were able to amplify that during COVID just speaks volumes to what you've been able to do as a business owner, which is super cool to see. So one of the things, I know I personally have a lot of like quotes that I like to live by, but what is one of those for you? Do you have a favorite success quote and why does that resonate with you if you do? Yes. I want to just say one other thing before we come back to that question, Michael, and that is, I want to make sure that anybody listening understands that this is not just me. I'm not a one-man shop anymore. Back in 2008, I was. But at this point, I've got between 12 and 14 employees, and I literally could do none of this without them. I mean, you know, this growth and this kind of stuff, if I was doing this all myself, if it was even possible, I'd be working 100 hours a week. You know, one of the greatest parts about all of this is while I gained market share and grew this firm, I also freed up time in my personal life. And, you know, just personally, when I met Rich, I was 50 pounds heavier and a lot less dense muscle wise. You know, I've taken time for the gym. I'm home for dinner. You know, I get to see my family. I get to go on these trips now that I didn't get to do before. And this is all thanks to, you know, office manager Jen and the rest of my team and my associates. And I couldn't do this myself. So I just wanted to make sure that I throw that out there because I feel like I didn't say enough about that when we had this presentation a couple weeks back. You didn't have enough time. And I didn't have enough time. I did thank them generally, but not, you know, individually and specifically. So. Now, back to your question. I'm glad that you asked because I know that both of you know Blaine Elkers, your chief results officer, and I got a fantastic text message from him today. He has this thing where he talks about, you know, from A to B, whether you're talking about the, you know, where you are from the destination and the journey. And I just want to share this with you this morning. 
just so happens he texted me. I'm sure it was planned on his calendar, but he said, keep your clarity on your point B. And then he said, I know that you're a journeyman now. And what he's saying there is he's referencing the fact that I used to be so focused on the destination when we first started having this conversation about how do you get from A to B. That's what I thought was the drive. And I think that the reason is because I was not happy where I was. So I was so focused on where I needed to be. And my perspective has shifted over the last year or so in the conversation. You know, my response to Blaine today was, thanks, Blaine. You know, I'm all about the journey now. I'm enjoying the scenery and stopping to smell the roses on the way because life is good. So my perspective has shifted on this to where, you know, I know where I want to be, but I'm not rushing to get there anymore because I'm happy where I am. You're much happier now than I when I first met you. So much. You happier. really are. I mean, we both were raised in the similar place, right? So you had that northeastern Pennsylvania edge to you, and it that chip on my a shoulder a little bit, and I did too. When I went to Arizona, they were like, "Whoa." who are you and where did you come from? Like, And Arizona softened me up. And I think your participation with your peers and I think knowledge, the knowledge that you now have that you're in control, quote unquote, of your business because you know what's working and what's not working, I think has eased the pressure and taken that off of you and allowed you to find some joy. And like you said, you're living a very balanced life. So kudos to you because there's been a massive change in who you were then and who you are now as a human. And speaking of humans, isn't Blaine Elkers just a great human? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I don't know anybody else like him. He is one of a kind. Yeah. He truly is one of a we, kind. We got to get him on this show, Michael. We got to get him on this show. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because he's just got a wealth of knowledge. He's just radiates joy. And that's He's just a great guy. Yeah. I mean, he really is. Yeah. We are um, blessed. <laughs> we are really, really, really blessed. It, I got to tell you, r removing some of that NEPA, that Northeast PA edge, yeah. I've got to give a little bit of a shout out to Bert Diener for that, whom you both also yeah. know. And, you know, he was a vendor of mine in a few years back, and I was having some conversations with some of his employees in the company that he runs. And they were not excited or thrilled to talk to me based upon the way that I interacted. Uh. And he called me one day and he said, listen, we got to talk. Huh. He said, I understand you. I understand why you are the way you are. But my people don't understand this. They're from south of the Mason-Dixon line, and this is just not how we do business. And he very politely and very kindly explained it to me, and he gave me two options. He said, if you continue to act the way that you're acting, then you have to deal directly with me because I can take it. Or you can adjust your way of doing business to a more nationally friendly attitude and I think that I have accomplished option number two because I haven't spoken to Bert about business in a while. At this point, we speak about tequila and cigars. So he hasn't had to scold me again. It's kind of ironic that Bert's the one giving you that advice. Cause, yeah, right. Of yes, course. Yes, it's kind of because anybody who knows Bert knows that he is still a Marine. And yeah, sorry. That's a good. But he knows the time and he place. Does, he apparently. does know. That he has learned the time and place. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right. We've gotten off track again, Michael. Sorry. No, no, no. It's good. This is what fuels it, right? It's the stories. It's learning a little bit more about Charles and how Charles came to be where he is now. And we talked a lot about Blaine there for a second. And to kind of keep that Blaine train going, if we want to, success habits, right? He's all about habits and building habits into your day. So Charles, what for you are your success habits that you do on a daily basis? 
Well, I'll give you a little bit of a rundown of my day and then tell you what I think is one of the most important shifts. But essentially, the rundown of my day is I wake up and I relax while my kids get ready for school. I watch the news, sit with them, sit with my wife. They go down to the bus stop about 7 a.m. So I get up about 6.15, 6.30, hang out with them you know, for that time period, that half hour, 45 minutes while they're getting ready and running around and I'm present, which is nice. Then at 7 a.m. when they leave, I take some me time and, you know, if sometimes I feel like cooking breakfast, so I make myself, you know, a nice breakfast burrito or something like that. Sometimes I don't and I eat yogurt and a granola bar. But then I, that's when I sort of take a look at my day and plan what I need to accomplish for the day. I know one of Blaine's big things is doing that the night before. I need to get into the habit no, of that, but no, I don't. Right, I no. usually as long point. as you do it, right? That's, yeah. Right. yeah. So I do it at that point. I, you know, I plan and get ready to start my day between you know seven o five and like nine fifteen is when I have some me time in the morning to you know read books, plan my day. You know, sometimes I'm not in the mood for that, and I start looking at emails or texting my buddies or whatever. But I try to start my day around nine fifteen. About nine fifteen in the morning is when I get in my pickup and head towards the office when I'm here in Allentown so that I'm at my desk ready to work around 10 o'clock most days. And giving myself that time in the morning to decompress when everybody's out of the house allows me to be prepared for whatever stresses might occur at the office when I get there. Because, you know, we can talk about all of these great things, but it still isn't easy. No. Just because you have a little bit of freedom doesn't mean it's easy when you do. (laughs) So, you know, I get to the office and I meet with my staff usually first thing, unless I have a client or something that I I need to do at 10 o'clock. But usually walk around, say good morning to everybody, make a cup of coffee, and then sit down at my desk and go through my emails, have the meetings that I need to have for the day. And here's where the most important part of my day comes in. So, It used to be that at five o'clock when everybody left, that's when I would start to focus and get work done as opposed to doing it in the morning. And I would work at five and for years and years and it stresses me out just thinking about it. But for years and years, everybody would leave at five and at 530, I'd pour a drink. I've got this great wet bar over here in the corner that you can't see. I built it into this building because that's what I wanted to do. You know, I wanted to have a drink at five o'clock and I would basically drink from 5.30 to 6.30, 7.30, get some stuff done. You know, then depending upon who was doing what in my 30s, I'd stop at the bar on the way home and have another drink with some of my buddies, and I'd come home around 8 o'clock or 8.30, you know, not in the best condition to spend time with my family. And one of the things that I've done is instead of that work time, now what I do is I'm doing mental work either on my business or sometimes for clients thinking, but what I do after work is I go to the gym. So from 5 to 5.45 is when it's quiet here in my office. So I do a couple of things that I need to do. And then at 5.45 every day, I leave and I go to the gym. And it's either I go to one gym to go on a treadmill or I go to another gym to work out with a trainer because the trainer has like his own setup. And what that does is it gives me mental focus. It takes away calories instead of adding them like I was before, but it gives me mental focus and it gives me the ability to exercise my body so that when I get home, I'm tired. I sleep better. I haven't had four or five glasses of bourbon, so I interact well with my family. We have dinner, but the biggest thing is I work out for an hour. So instead of being home at 8.30, now I'm home at like 7 o'clock. So I'm home at 7 o'clock, which is- And your endorphins are are up and you're not drunk. Right. 
and my kids are teenagers, so that's kind of when everybody's getting home anyway from all their various after-school activities. We're all kind of rallying at home around 7 o'clock. We have dinner. We watch TV. You know, it's wonderful. Mm, what a great day. Man. Yeah. What a great- I love it. That's why I'm all about the journey yeah, now yeah. instead of focusing on the destination. Yeah, 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 yeah. Agreed. Yeah, no, I think that's very valuable that you were just able – thank you for – being able to share walking through your day. I think there's a lot of good little points in there that people could pick up on. I have a question though. Do you think it would have happened if it wasn't on purpose? Like it didn't happen through osmosis, right? I mean, you had to be purposeful about this. Is that accurate? Yes, I had to be purposeful about it. And I thought that I had mentioned this, but the biggest part of my daily routine is that going to the gym because it gives me that, you know, that mind dump. There's, you know, when I'm at the gym and I'm on the treadmill, there are no distractions. I've got headphones in, I'm listening to music and there are zero distractions. When I'm there with my trainer, you know, he and I are talking, but there are zero outside distractions. So in addition to all those other things we discussed, it doesn't have me bringing work home with me. When I get home, I'm focused and that's why I like it in the afternoon. A lot of people like to wake up and work out, you know, like Marky Mark or Mark Wahlberg, he works out at like four in the morning and then hangs out with his family and then works out again. And that's why he looks better than I do. That's why he looks like I will never look because I'm not going to the gym twice. Right. He looks like a G.I. Joe guy, a G.I. Joe figure from the 80s. But yeah, so that's why the afternoon for me, because then I don't bring my work home. One of the things I'm blessed to have is a very short commute. It's about 10 minutes to my house. But the problem with a 10 minute commute is if you go right from work to home, you're bringing it all with you. Great point. That little pause in between. That is. Yeah, that's great. Awesome. And it's better when it's at the gym than when it's at the bar. I know from experience. But you got to have that break in between. Well, with alcoholism no, really so high in law and depression so high in law, what a what a what a great piece of advice. That's awesome. Good writer downer, Michael. That is a very good writer downer. And Charles, I know you had reference. You know, sometimes in your me time in the morning. You'll take some time to read. Is there a book or a podcast that you'd recommend to the people listening today? What would that be for you? Oh, I don't think I have one particular favorite that I read over and over. And frankly, I'm a little bit ADHD with books and podcasts. So there's not a particular podcast that I listen to every day. Technically, my podcast time with another weekly routine in the summer, you know, is cutting the grass, right? You can pay somebody to cut your lawn. I can pay somebody to cut my lawn. But also cutting my grass for two hours on my tractor is podcast time with no distractions. So I do podcasts, usually business development, sometimes comedy. I go back and forth. So I do podcasts on the tractor, but in the morning when I read, I really read a chapter of a book here or a chapter of a book there. And most of them are business development books that I have, you know, received through peers in YPM and you guys. The one that's currently on my desk at the moment is the one that we're working on right now from Ben Glass, Play Left Fullback. This, This is the second copy of this book that I have. And I did get it a few years ago and never finished it because, like I said, I generally don't read through a whole book, which you know, is interesting because I feel like I get a lot of good pieces from a lot of different things. And I feel like if you subscribe to one track of thinking, whether it be sales or business management or whatever, that you're closing yourself in and you're missing things. So maybe part of my ADHD is because I don't want to get too focused on one thing. I want to take bits and pieces from here and there. That's just kind of how I operate. Yeah, well, I I think that's actually a great point. So I've told people this before, so it's not new, but I started reading in 1993. Prior to that, I didn't read at all. 
And I, anyway, I made a promise to myself after I read my first fiction book and loved it, it was The Firm. And then I went and saw the movie and realized how good the book was and how bad the movie was, comparatively speaking. And actually, the movie was actually pretty good. But I was just going to say, it's a, yeah, great yeah, it's movie. a great movie. But I made a commitment to read a book a week in 1993. And I read a book a week for a long, long time, probably 20 years. And so until I was about 43, 44. And then somewhere along the line, I started reading to realization. So now I read to the point that I realize something I need to do. And then I'm okay if I go and implement that thing and then stop and I don't get back to that book to sometime in the future. And so there's six books open on my Audible right now. Uh, I do read fiction all the way through. because So I read Kindle. I read fiction on my Kindle. And I, like, I just roll through my fiction. Every night I read fiction to go to bed. And then I listen to my Audible books on two and a half times speed so I can just get to the point of realization and then I go implement. That's how that, – but so I'm kudos to you in realizing that – the requirement isn't to read the book in full. The requirement is to glean something from it and then do something with the information, right? Absolutely. Yes. Perfect. That's much more in the camp that I sit in yeah. as well. I don't always finish every book full front to cover. I but, see profit first on the shelf behind you there. Yes. I recognize that spine. Yes. <laughs> Noticeable spine, valuable It's spine. interesting. It's, it's Jesus, profit first. I wonder if there's a, you know, I mean, hey, we got our priorities right. That one stands a little higher. Yeah. That yeah, one stands, stands a little, a little higher. higher. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So, Charles, one of the things you said in the beginning was that you like to look at yourself and theoretically you are a serial entrepreneur. And so I know, obviously, from speaking to you, you got a lot of exciting things happening. But what's one thing that has you super fired up today? Something outside of the practice of law. Whatever. It could be both, both and, yeah. I would say at the moment, I am very excited about the fact that three friends and I, three partners and I are in the process of starting a microbrewery and not that any of us will work in it. We will work on it. We will all have employees up but there stirring I, the mash. So, you know, I think that I probably will be so that I can say that I did it. But once I do it, that'll yeah, be right, it. Right. The batch that I make will probably be the worst that ever comes <laughs> yeah, out. But yeah, I got to try yeah. it. I'm a tinkerer. I got to sure, try it. Sure. So, yes, that is the current summer project that I'm working on is to get that microbrewery up and running in Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania, Slatington area and Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania is where we want to have that coming from in this fall. What's going to so be the name? Will everybody know? It's Illumination Brewing. Illumination Brewing. And that comes from the fact that the main part will be in the old Keystone Lamp Factory in Slatington, Pennsylvania. So it was a lamp factory back in the 50s and 60s that went out of business. So it's a great industrial space that has already been repurposed into an antique market and sort of like a farmer's market. So we're going to be adding this brewery tap room on the side of the farmer's market there. And I'm very excited about that. All right. So cool. I mean, I can't wait to come up and have a beer there. I'm so excited. I know. I'm, I'm looking forward to, to it. That. Yeah. But okay. So there's attorneys listening that were like, hey, I got some good tips here, but I can't relate. To Charles, because like I can barely get home in time for dinner, let alone think about starting a microbrew. And so whether they're the small and solo doing 200, 300,000, trying to figure out how to get out of their own way, or and they're not maybe making all that much to the bottom line, or they're a million, million and a half firm, or maybe bigger. You know, I met a $7 million firm the other day that was making zero profit. You know, they're a bigger firm and they're not making any profit. Like where... I know it's hard to answer this question, but where do you think they have to start? What's the step one for them? 
Oh, I don't think that's a hard question to answer at all. I think step one is you have to figure out in your firm what is working and what is not working from a client generation standpoint. That absolutely has to be step one. And then right, you know, step one A, speaking of that Mike Michalowicz book, Profit First, step one A is figuring out how to make money on what you've already got going. So Profit first is great because the whole concept there, as both of you know, is we got to take, you know, 10% or whatever dollar amount we're going to assign to that out of the business at profit daily and run on the rest. And <clears throat> excuse me, before I knew about profit first, the way that I used to do this from a bankruptcy concept and Rich and I have discussed this many times is the chapter 13 checks. So I used to run my business outside of the chapter 13 checks and whatever chapter 13 checks came in, that was the profit. And that was a way that I was doing profit first without even realizing it. And that's because in my mind, that was money that was not guaranteed. So we can't run a business on money that's not guaranteed. So, you know, speaking about the profit first, put that aside, the rest is what in your practice mastered, we refer to as the perfect client life cycle, the PCLC. Right. There are other names for it, but essentially it's a sales funnel. So you've got to figure out what your sales funnel or sales funnels are, and then track the metrics from lead to appointment to showing up for the appointment, to converting that appointment to a paying client. And you've got to split your business. This is what they don't teach you in law school. They don't even teach you this in college. Maybe they teach you in an MBA program. But a business has two sides. It has customer acquisition and then output. So as lawyers, you know, not the first day out of law school, but very quickly you learn the output side, but nobody teaches you the customer acquisition side. So you've got to, whether you're starting from $100,000 a year gross revenue or $10 million a year gross revenue, if you don't have your client acquisition numbers figured out, you can't pay for the output side. It doesn't match. You've got to match those things and synergize them. What great advice. What great advice. You're a really wonderful strong student, advice. my friend. You are a wonderful <laughs> I just don't read. Uh, no, but you implement. Yeah. That's what I love working with attorneys. You guys are bright humans. And, you know, when you get it, you get it, you know. And so I just love, I love watching that light bulb go off. And hearing you recite this is, was, you know, warms my heart. So anyway. Well, and one of the amazing things about this is, you know, you're saying you can't relate to somebody starting a brewery or having these real estate deals. I also have a bar restaurant that I've had for six years now. That same con, it's a business concept. This is not a law firm concept. This is a business concept. The same thing applies through all of these other paths that I have. Yeah, cool. My business yes, is no is. different it's than direct. you. I love it. That's Bingo. right. Take the oath, right? That's the oath. Well, Charles, what's a way that people could get in touch with you if they would like to get in touch yeah, with you? Yeah, should they hit you up on TikTok or do you want them to email you? You're a new TikTok star here. So where do you want them to reach Oh, out? I'm so excited and frustrated by TikTok all at the same yeah. time. The So I had the most hits that I've ever had on a video last week. I finally got to just under 10,000. By the end of this week, it should be 10,000. Nice. But, you know, my highest video for the last nine months was like 1,800 or 1,700, something like that. And all of a sudden, I clicked on one that got me 10,000 which obviously is not a big deal for actual social media influencers, but it's a big deal for some attorney from Allentown, Pennsylvania. Right. So yeah. I was really pumped about that. So I thought I had the formula nailed. I went and did the same thing three more times. Uh. So, you know, <laughs> I haven't figured out the algorithm, but when I do, I'll let well, you know. What but, I have figured you know, out, just so you know, <laughs> is that like, 
Michael's videos outpull mine because like, you know, you'd rather look at him than like this. Right. But what we found is the spokesperson we hired who's pretty, they outpull both of us. So pretty, pretty does work. I'm just saying, you know. Well, you know, the only thing that I did differently is I had a shirt and tie on. So maybe I look better with the tie on, which my wife always says, but I feel so restricted by a tie. But maybe that's the ticket, so I'll try that next week. I'll do another one with a similar style, wearing a tie or a suit or something, and we'll see if that gets more followers. You know, that guy must be important because he's right. bald and he's wearing right. a tie. Test. Right. Um, <laughs> but the answer is, you know, to get a hold of me, <laughs> I have so much marketing out there that basically if you type my name into Google, you'll probably find me 10 different ways. I'd prefer if you didn't do that because all of those leads cost me money in some degree. So you can go to my website, which is laputkalaw.com, L-A-P-U-T-K-A. LAW.com. Um, that would be, you know, the best way to find out about my law firm. But seriously, you know, there's so much advertising out on Google that if you even come close to spelling my name correctly, I should appear, you know, in all over the top of the page. Yeah. Well, hey, congratulations to you on all that you've achieved. Thank you so much for sharing with what we like to refer to as EA Nation, Entrepreneurial Attorney Nation around here on Your Practice Mastered Podcast. Charles, I appreciate you as a friend. I appreciate you as one of the captains in our world. And congratulations again on the EAY Championship. Oh, thank you very much. It's been my pleasure, gentlemen. Yeah, Charles, it really is an honor and super excited that you were welcome to pop on and join us today. And to everyone else listening, you heard Charles' link down in the description. And then remember, here on the Your Practice Master podcast, we invest our time, money, and resources, and we call this the Gentleman's Agreement. Agreement. So, Gentleman's Agreement. If you've watched or listened to this podcast more than once and you're getting value, all we ask for in return is you hit that like button, you comment below, hit that subscribe or follow button, depending on the platform you're listening or watching on. And then if you want to learn a little bit more about what we're doing here at Your Practice Master, we've also got a link down in the description below that you could check it out. But we appreciate you guys listening and tuning in to another episode of the Your Practice Master podcast. That's a wrap. Wonderful. All right. Yeah, the great news about the gentleman's agreement part of that is, you know, if somebody is listening to this podcast and they're getting value, the fact that you hit the like button or hit the subscribe button means that the algorithms in social media will show it to other people. So not only are you actually helping your practice mastered, but you're helping similarly situated people to yourself find the information that you're getting value from. So that's always a bonus for everyone. We might have to cut that clip and add that in every single episode. I know, that's going to have yeah, to that come, might be, yeah. I did that intentionally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to worry about saying that anymore. Charles, that's good. We're going to cut that out. And we're gonna, Michael's going to go, let me just refer to Charles and let you know why you need to do what you need to do. And then Alonzo will play Charles every single time. Or feel free to use that because I got to tell you, that's actually in when I send my review request for Google to my clients, that is how I explain it to them. I say, listen, you know, if you've gotten value from our firm and you feel like, you know, we did a great job for you, I'd love you to put down a five-star review. Not so much for me to get business, but what this does is the more five-star reviews that we have on Google, the more people that are similarly situated to you can find us as opposed to some financial con artist that's going to lead them down the wrong path. So, It is a little bit self-serving, but also it is altruistic because the more people that like us, the more the algorithms feed it to similarly situated people that need our help. And just when you thought you were about to leave, this was like the credits at the end of the movie. You didn't want to stay on till the end because you just got a value bomb dropped on you just like that. Thanks so much, my friend. I appreciate you. You're welcome. Thanks, Charles. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.